You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Every week at the end of the show, we give out the phone number 206-201-2720 and we invite you to call in not just with questions but also with comments and feedback and we welcome your comments and feedback. You can also leave comments at savagelovecast.com where there's a comment thread on every single show. So if it's when you got to get off your chest, you can do it there. But some people do email me directly rather than calling or leaving a comment on the show uh, at the website and I'm going to share one. I usually don't share the emails, but I read them. I read them all and I take your comments seriously. But I just wanted to share this one. Dear Dan, I can't say how much I enjoy your sex advice. Listening to your podcast with my wife has been a game changer. You are awesome at sex advice. But I don't give a fat flying fuck about what you think about politics or abortion. If you wish to keep giving great sex advice to people who identify as to the left of Dan Savage, and that's most of us because you are one lefty bastard, shut up and give sex advice. Bill. So let me just say to Bill and everyone out there who agrees with Bill, and there are people out there who agree with Bill because I have heard this shit before, it's going to be a long 18 months for you people because we're heading into a presidential election and I am going to talk about abortion and politics and shit, particularly where it intersects with my portfolio. Sex. Sex and relationships and gender and reproductive freedom and marriage. All these things are politicized in our country. I will leave politics alone and politicians alone just as soon as they start leaving sex alone. But politicians don't leave sex alone. And it would be negligence on my part if I didn't address politics when politicians are all out there addressing sex. So you have an option if you don't want to listen to me rant and rave a little bit about politics. Skip the top of the show for the next 18 months. Not every show at the top for the next 18 months is going to be about politics, but you know the percentage that are about politics tends to spike the closer we get to a national election. So Bill, thank you very much for the compliments about my awesome sex advice. I am glad. It, it gratifies me actually greatly that listening to me and listening to the show and, and listening to my listeners and their feedback too, that all of this together has improved Things with your wife and a game changer that fills me with pride. But I am not going to shut up about politics. So anyway, here's my moment of politics before we get to the questions and calls. Hillary Clinton jumped in the race this weekend. Marco Rubio jumped in the race today. Rand Paul jumped into the race last week. He was the second clown into the car, to the clown car that is going to be a GOP nomination and GOP debates. And he was presented to us. He himself presented himself to us, his launch video as a different kind of Republican. Rand Paul, he's a different kind of Republican. He has all sorts of new ideas. New ideas, unlike all those other Republicans. Rand Paul's new ideas like opposing same-sex marriage, backing the Life Begins a Conception Act, which would make abortion illegal even in cases of rape, incest, or to save the life of the mother, keeping marijuana illegal, all those big new ideas. Rand Paul also has a big new idea about climate change. It is not happening. That's Rand Paul's idea. And he opposes efforts to regulate carbon emissions. Rand Paul wants to increase defense spending by $190 billion. Unlike every other Republican, actually like every other Republican, he opposes Obama's nukes deal with Iran. He fully backs Citizens United, the decision that has allowed unregulated and unlimited 
campaign contributions to flow into our political system and distort it. Rand Paul also supports the Supreme Court decision that gutted the Voting Rights Act. He opposes all gun control measures. That's a new idea for a Republican. And he's pledged to repeal Obamacare. Doesn't seem like a new idea to me, but there it is. And he wants to use drones to police our borders with Mexico and increase the number of deportations, which have hit an all-time high under Barack Obama, much to Barack Obama's discredit. So Rand Paul, he's not like all those other Republicans who want to do all of the exact same things Rand Paul wants to do. It's going to be a long 18 months, and we are going to talk about it on this show. Before we get to your calls, I want to give a big shout-out and thank you to all the Magnum subscribers who are re-upping this week. We so appreciate your support for the show. If you are not yet a Magnum subscriber, go to www.savagelovecast.com and for five bucks, you can subscribe for one month to sample the awesomeness of being a Magnum subscriber to see what it's all about. And that five bucks gives you access to every Magnum edition of the show. You can binge listen for a whole month to every Magnum episode. Everything that you've missed, you can hear, you can wallow in sex advice for a whole month and then decide if you want to subscribe permanently. There are options around subscribing. You can up every month for five bucks. You can just pay five bucks a month, but that's 60 bucks for the whole year. Why do that when a six-month subscription is 20 bucks and a one-year subscription is 36 bucks? And we spend all of that money on food and shelter and clothing for the tech-savvy at-risk youth and new underwear for my husband, Terry. All right. Once again, thank you to all you Magnum subscribers. And thank you to everyone who listens to the show, Magnum subscriber or not. And now your calls. Hi, Dan. I'm 28, straight female. My dad has been fucking a married woman for the last, I'd say, nine years. And I confronted him about it eight years ago, and he told me they broke up, but I was recently visiting him in the Northwest, and he tried to hide photos of her, but it was obvious that they were photos of her, and I also found some receipts from Benbridge for, like, diamond earrings and stuff like that, and so I want to confront him about it, but... It's his life, and, you know, maybe she and her husband have some kind of arrangement. But I guess it's, what's most annoying is that he denies having a girlfriend, and he keeps talking about how he needs a girlfriend and, you know, stuff like that, and how he's so lonely. And I want to say, like, well, maybe you could have a real girlfriend if you weren't fucking a married woman. But I don't want to cause any trouble, I guess. I'd love to hear your opinion, I've taken calls like yours in the past, this this question before, people who are freaking out because mom or dad is having an affair or mom and dad is doing something with mom or dad's genitals that the kid doesn't quite approve of. And usually I blow up. Have you heard me give an answer to a question like yours in the past listening to the show? I have. <laughs> so, so you know where I'm going to go with this, which is what's wrong with you, right? Well, yeah. I know. It's not my business because it's my dad's dick. And ding, he can ding, do what ding, he wants ding, with ding. It. It's not your business. It's your dad's dick. He can do what he wants with it. Stop digging through his receipts. Stop policing him. And, you know, this whole thing he's doing where he, you know, denies having a girlfriend and, you know, pisses and moans about the fact that he'd really like one and he's lonely. What do you think the odds that that's just a show for you? Because he knows you disapprove of the relationship that he's in and you 
have shamed him about it in the past. So when you come to town, he makes a big effort to pretend he doesn't have a girlfriend to throw you off the set. I don't know. It's just kind of pathetic, I guess. I wish that he could just have a grown-up conversation with me about it, you know? Okay, can you have a grown-up conversation with him about it, though, without shaming him about this? You know, how old, how old is your dad? He is, he'll be 50, he'll be 55, yeah. Okay, and how old is the woman that he's been having an affair with for nine years? This is a long-term relationship at this point. It is a long-term relationship, which is why I think we should talk about it. Why do you need to talk with him about it? What's not working about it for your dad except your disapproval? I don't know. I guess when I initially expressed disapproval, I was 20 years old. And, you know, it's been quite a while since then. And it would be nice just to... No. And okay. I want to support it, you know? Okay. So what you need to say to your dad is, tw- you know, when I was 20, I had kind of a thoughtless, sex-negative, presumptuous reaction. And all I want to ask you now, dad, is are you happy? Because if you're happy, I'm happy. Okay. And if he says, I'm happy, that- let him be happy. And this may be not the ideal relationship for him. He may have wanted something more, want more intimacy, want more time with her. But maybe this is all he can have with her, and this is what he wants. He wants her more than he wants the full girlfriend experience, and this is the price of admission he's willing to pay. And you, what do you know about her? Um, well, I know she's married, and I know she has two young children. Okay. And I know her name. Okay. Well, that's about it. Let's not, let's not blurt it out. Um, <laughs> no, I will not. And I know what she looks like. You know, I've seen the pictures that it has. There are people who, for all sorts of good reasons, do not want to end the marriage that they're in. That may, you know, maybe she loves her husband very much. Maybe they're really good parents and partners together. And she doesn't want to rip apart the home that her children are growing up in. And she's doing what she needs to do to stay married and stay sane, which means getting sex elsewhere and maybe it squeaks you out to know that that she's getting sex elsewhere that means fucking your dad and no one likes to think about their parents being sexually active but you know contingencies and compromises and you know working around less than ideal situations to preserve the greater good is part of grown-up adult life and sometimes people have to make accommodations in their grown-up adult lives that can seem if you're just you know looking at everything as black or white can seem unethical or dirty or shameful. But if what your dad is doing with and for this woman has allowed her to stay married to someone that she loves and to be a better parent to her two children, doesn't your dad deserve some small credit for that? Yeah. And maybe this arrangement is in the best interest of all concerned. Maybe the presumption you you know, the assumption could, you know, benefit your dad that he's not doing something terrible, that he's actually doing something admirable. He's making this sacrifice for the woman that he loves that allows her to be the parent that she wants to be and still have emotional and sexual fulfillment and her family too. Yeah. It's not ideal, but there are ideals and then there's adult lived reality. And it's easy when you're 20 or 29 to look at that adult lived reality and think people shouldn't do that and people should, you know, hew to certain 
standards of ethics and morality and you know the right thing to do would be for this woman to divorce her husband, traumatize her children and be with my dad. But maybe the harm of doing the right thing, divorcing her husband, traumatizing her children to be with your dad, outweighs the harm being done perhaps even to your dad by, by this being sort of a complicated non-ideal arrangement for all concerned on some level. Yeah. And the thing is, I'm okay with the arrangement. I just want my dad to be open about it. Then you should apologize That's... to your dad. Okay. For what you did when you were 20. We always talk about parents, you know, attempting to control their children's sex lives or shaming their children's sexual choices. The reverse can also be true and traumatic for the parent when they're judged by their children and shamed by their children for their adult choices. And you did that to him when you were 20. He's gone out of his way since to cover this up, perhaps to protect you from the information or to, you know, not feel like he's losing your esteem or your regard or your affections. So he covers this all up, which then feels silly because you know about it. And the cover up is almost worse than the crime at this point from how you're talking about it. Right. It's the like putting the pictures away and hiding the receipts. Why are you going through your dad's receipts again? Why are you doing that? Okay. Hold on. We did not go through the receipts. My sister found them on the fridge. Okay. So they were just on a magnet on the fridge and my sister saw them. Okay. So we weren't snooping. Okay. You weren't snooping. So I, I, I withdraw that from the bill of indictment. Everything else sticks though. Go apologize to your dad. Say, I'm sorry for what I said when I was 20. If she makes you happy and you're happy, I'm happy for you. And you don't have to hide her pictures from me anymore. That's just silly. Okay. 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 I'll do that. You should do that. I will. It would be be a wonderful world if nobody cheated, if everybody could find complete everything, sexual fulfillment, emotional fulfillment, parental fulfillment within their marriages and nobody had to look outside them for anything. But there are a lot of good and decent, loving marriages and good, solid families and happy homes for children that rattle on and survive and stumble along because one or the other or both persons in the marriage, both of the adults, the married people are doing a little something on the side that makes it again, possible for them to stay married and stay sane. And we yeah. always look and, at the person in your father's position and we say, what a terrible thing for him to have done. Sometimes we should look at the person in your father's position and say, wow, he's a saint. Yeah. Well, and I'm cool with cheating. I don't think that's horrible. It's not the most terrible thing someone can do. What really bothers me most is the openness. But you're right. It's my fault that he's not open about it because nine years ago, it was a total bitch to him about it. So why would he want to be open with me about it now? He probably thinks it's the loving thing to do to hide this from you so that you're not disappointed in him yeah. or, or traumatized by this continuing. So just write him a letter and say no more games. And I'm sorry that for what I said, and I can't know what's going on in your sex life. And I don't really want to know, but if you're happy, I'm happy and you should be open with me about it. And you have my support. Okay. Good luck. Thank you, Dan. Hello, Dan. I've got a question. I am pro-life. But I do have one question for you. 
take it to heart and think about it. If the whole world were to turn gay, I know it can never happen, all right? But that's not the argument. The argument is if. If all the girls started dating girls, all the guys started dating guys, there would be no more children. The world would end in 80 years. So how can it be all right? I've asked this question to a bunch of people. I've pissed off a lot of people. But none of them have ever given me a, a satisfactory answer other than it can't happen. I shall now attempt to give you a satisfactory answer to this question. You've conceded the point that the whole world isn't going to turn gay tomorrow or ever. Um, sometimes people do say that, though. You know, the previous pope, the Dowager Pontiff Benedict, said that you know one of his concerns with legalized gay marriage was that it would lead to the extinction of the species if everyone turned gay, which is really Benedict telling us something about Benedict. But Benedict doesn't believe there's any such thing as a straight person, right? There's just all these people in the world who wish they were gay and would be gay if they could get a gay marriage license. But because they can't, they're just going to settle for heterosexual sex. I don't understand why straight people aren't offended by those arguments that, you know, being gay is a choice, that argument also, because it suggests that heterosexual love and desire uh, and intimacy is something that heterosexuals could take or leave, that heterosexuals aren't particularly passionate about heterosexual passion. They could all just walk away from it tomorrow. Uh, that's not how most heterosexuals that I know experience their heterosexuality. Maybe the occasional Marcus Bachman or Ted Haggard experiences their heterosexuality that way. But the heterosexuals that I have known and loved platonically – don't experience it that way. And I assume you, caller, you don't experience your heterosexuality as something that you could just walk away from, that you could just start sucking my dick, right? You have no desire to suck my dick and I have no desire to have my dick sucked by you and so we're even, right? You're not going to like be gay. You're not going to turn gay. But let's for sake of argument, and this is what you wanted, let's, uh, let's entertain the – as a thought experiment, the possibility that everybody could turn gay and then everybody did. Everybody turns gay tomorrow and then the world would end. Humanity would become extinct in 80 years because nobody would be having children anymore. You're positing there not just that everybody turns gay, but that everybody turns stupid as well. That the day everybody turns gay is also the day that everybody forgets which whole shit's babies, right? That gay people left to our own devices would just – Run around fucking butts and eating pussy and wondering where the babies are. And these are the same gay people who many of whom are becoming parents today through surrogacy and IVF treatments. Those same gay people who are having their own biological children through surrogacy, IVF treatments, sperm donation. Those same gays and lesbians the day after everybody became gay or lesbian would just forget. Again, forget which whole shit's babies. We'd all be standing around waiting for triplets to fall out of our asses, wondering what the problem was. That there was some kind of gay neutron bomb that some gay terrorist set off that turned everybody gay tomorrow. Every once in a while, when we got a sense that there were too few children rattling around, we would take one for the team and have some of that opposite sex sex under duress just to make a baby or jack off into a turkey baster and jam it into a lesbian and make a baby. So I, I hope this satisfies you, this answer. 
Because I really feel like, you know, if we can accept uh, as a premise that everybody turned gay tomorrow, we're not going to swallow big fat loads of cum and then wonder why we're not coughing up babies. We're not going to fuck butts and stand there behind them nine months later waiting for the babies to fall out. We will, in this all-gay future, continue to introduce ejaculate into the vaginal canal, if not for pleasure, then for just reproductive purposes, which gays and lesbians who are starting their own families all over the country, all over the world, are already doing. We are proving that we can already do this. But thank you for your misplaced concern for the future of humanity. Hi, Dan. I'm the tech savvy at rescue. <clears throat> um, I'm calling regarding all the people that I hear calling about being in an open relationship and not being able to prove to potential partners that they are allowed to fuck other people. Um, and I think that an easy solution to that would be to just have their significant other record a short little video saying, hi, I'm so-and-so's girlfriend or spouse, and we're in an open relationship. <laughs> and then they could just either keep that on their phone, or if they have kids and they don't want their kids going through their phone and seeing that video, they could just keep it in a folder in their email that's easily accessible, and even maybe a picture of them together at their wedding or whatever. It's an elegant solution to the problem of how do you verify that the person sitting in front of you who's saying that they have an open relationship who happens to be wearing a wedding ring actually has an open relationship. Oh, they could just pull up this videotape on their phone of their spouse saying that it's okay for you to fuck my husband or fuck my wife. We are in an open relationship. One problem. How do you then verify that the video you've just watched is actually a video of their spouse and not a video created for them by a fuck buddy or a friend or an actor? You know, Photoshop is a thing. That actually exists and the actor you hired to play the wife in the video you're going to show people on business trips or play the husband in the video you're going to show people on business trips could also be persuaded for cash money to put on a wedding dress and stand next to you in a tuxedo for five seconds to take a photograph or to have their face photoshopped into your wedding photos. It all comes back down to trust, right? And someone untrustworthy can lie to your face. Someone untrustworthy can show you a video that's bullshit. Uh, you have to use your best judgment in the moment. Perhaps with the video, you have a little more information uh, that you can weigh in the balance as you're making that judgment call. But I don't think it's a foolproof measure. Hey, Dan. I'm a 42-year-old pansexual polyamorous man living in North America. All my sexual adult life, I've just accepted I'm not the kind of guy that comes through fucking. Except on a handful of occasions, I've always finished myself that. Um, now, I don't bear back, so this is all about sex with a condom. So, I never thought it was much of a deal. On the contrary, it's been sort of an asset to be able to bring my partners to orgasm. But there's this very cute, sweet, GGG guy I've been dating for about 10 months, and he really wants me to come while I fuck him. He's hot, he's skillful, <laughs> he's patient, but it hasn't happened. We've tried long foreplay, lubing up my cock, lubing up the condom, using thin condoms, ripped condoms, but I always outlast this guy. Now, we're having amazing sex, but I would just love to do this for him at some point. The other thing is that, though I agree with you that the vast majority of guys can't tell the difference between fucking with a rubber or without one, I'm one of those rare guys that do. I can say that because on the few occasions the condom has broken, I felt an immediate radical change of sensitivity, and it feels like I could come any moment. 
this is not a trick to suggest that guys in general do feel less with the kind of man. This is not about me looking for someone to tell me that their backing is okay. I have a number of partners and I really want to keep everybody safe. This is about me not knowing what else to do to give this satisfaction to this guy. So what else can I do? Are there extra uber mega thin condoms not usually sold to the public or look that makes you come sooner? I'm not desperate, but I really, really, really like this guy. And I honestly want to make him happy at this once by reaching orgasm by fucking him. Joining me by phone from Paris, France, talk about the glamour, is Laura Anderson, associate editor for Slate, where she writes about food and culture mostly. She recently reported a long-form feature, fascinating piece called Why Don't We Have a Better Condom? And I thought she would be an excellent guest expert to tackle this question. Hey, uh, Laura, thank you for letting us interrupt your vacation in glamorous Paris, France. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you. So uh, this guy's problem sounds pretty much latex condom related. When he wears a latex condom, he can go forever and that hasn't been a problem for him. And he typically pulls out and finishes. But now there's this new man in his life. Uh, One of the men in his life is a new man. And he wants to be able to come inside this guy. And that guy really wants it. But he can't get there with a latex condom. You looked into... All the condom options that are out there, what we know about condoms, what we know about latex condoms and other alternatives. What's your expert recommendation for this guy? What should he try? Well, I'll start out by saying, you know, I'm not a doctor. No one should be coming for me to me for medical advice. But listening to this guy's question, I, I have to say that he sounds like he might be a good candidate for lambskin condoms, um, which are a condom that most people don't use, some people don't even know they really still exist um, or that they're still manufactured, but they're very strong. They uh, allow for a lot of uh, sensitivity. Um, guys who switch from latex to lambskin often notice just a world of difference in terms of sensation. And they also, and this was the surprising thing that I turned up in my research for this article, they do a pretty good job of protecting against most STIs. They don't seem to protect very well against uh, some smaller, the smaller infective particles, which includes viruses like uh, hepatitis B. Well, HIV. So with HIV, the, the studies that have actually tested lambskin condoms with solutions that contained HIV showed that the vast majority of them did not leak HIV. Mm-hmm. And these were condoms that were being stressed under pretty, you know, vigorous conditions. Like one of my favorite uh, types of studies that I described in the article is these people put a, lam- a condom over a vibrator and then lowered the vibrator vibrating into a beaker for half an hour with the solution in the condom to see if it would leak under the those conditions. So like that would be the same as like if you were inside your partner for half an hour after you come uh, while vibrating, you know, at the pace of a vibrator, which is like obviously not realistic. And so they were trying to sort of like stress the condoms as much as possible to see if anything could get through. And under most of these conditions, under most of these tests, uh, HIV didn't leak. Smaller particles did leak, but HIV didn't leak. So why do lamb? Uh, you know, I remember when condoms came online during the the worst years, the height, the the ramp up to into the HIV epidemic slash crisis. And lambskin condoms had a really bad rap. And the word mm-hmm. on the street was they wouldn't protect you from HIV. That they were porous. That the virus could pass through the condom, and you were supposed to use latex condoms. And mm-hmm. reading your piece, I learned much to my fury at certain points that 
these lambskin condoms really got a bum rap that they were much more effective around HIV prevention than we were led to believe by the FDA by who? Yeah, by um by the FDA. The FDA was responsible for implementing labeling on latex condoms that states that they don't protect against STIs, which is certainly not true. They definitely at least protect against some STIs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also there was just there was a culture of fear at the time that is hard to imagine today that I know you can speak to firsthand more than I can. Um, that just meant that like no one wanted to take a risk. I remember reading an article from the early 90s where a, a public health expert said something like, if there's any doubt whatsoever about the effectiveness of lambskin condoms, then we should not recommend them. And reading that today, I think, well, any doubt? I mean, with any kind of protection, you're going to be taking a risk. With latex condoms, you take the risk that it's going to slip off or, or break. break. I mean, that was yeah. that was how uh, uh, numerous friends of mine got infected during the mm-hmm. The, the worst years of it, right? Because a condom would break and, yeah. uh, and the break would not be noticed or the break would happen uh, after ejaculation right. and, and they would get infected. And, you know, as you unpack in the piece and, and as I already knew, uh, condoms have never been tested for their effectiveness or, or safety, latex condoms, for use during anal intercourse and, of course, during the uh, AIDS epidemic. And even now, uh, the most effective route of HIV transmission, the most the riskiest sex is anal intercourse. And they mm-hmm. were throwing latex condoms into the gay community saying, use these for anal sex. And what we know, you know, didn't know, nobody told us, but your piece unpacks. And they knew then latex condoms, much higher risk for breakage, which was mm-hmm. – a huge contributor to uh, HIV infection rates and lambskin condoms, much stronger, much less likely to break and not as permeable uh, or, you know, the the HIV virus couldn't pass through them as we were told. How how maddening is that? I think of, I can literally like start rattling off the names of dead fucking friends who died because condom latex condoms they were using broke. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's, it's this enormous irony that, you know, the reason that the FDA and that the public health establishment in general became interested in condoms was because of HIV. And yet they've gone for basically 30 years without ever directly discussing or addressing the the main sex act by which HIV is spread, um, you know, which means that, like you said, latex condoms have never been really officially approved or very, you know, very much clinically tested for uh, for effectiveness during anal sex. Okay, let's let's. Let's circle back quickly to the to this guy's question. If he, you know, caller, if you know yourself to be STI free, if you're HIV negative, if uh, even though you, you have multiple partners, it sounds like you're pretty religious about safety and condom use, and good for you. Um, if you know yourself to be HIV negative, uh, or if you're HIV positive and you are um, uh, in treatment and on the drug cocktail, and you have an undetectable viral load. I would say, you know, I'm going to second uh, Laura that the lambskin condom, particularly in combo with Truveda, if the guy that you're wanting to treat to you coming in his ass is on Truveda, that that the that that presents really low to no risk combining mm-hmm. late lambskin with uh, Truveda in particular, mm-hmm. and, and that would be a very safe route. And if he's on Truveda and you are uh, STI free and you're willing to take a risk for him, you could even go condom free mm-hmm. and that could be you know if you are if you have an undetectable viral load or you're hiv negative and you're sure of it and he's on truveda 
that there are a lot of people out there in the world, particularly HIV prevention education organizations in Europe, which tend to be saner than ours in America, would describe that as safe sex. Um, absolutely. And the other thing that I would add is that the caller mentioned that he's broken condoms in the past. And, you know, in clinical trials, uh, people who break condoms, well, condom breakage tends to be clustered. There are couples who will like repeatedly break condoms because they just like the way that their bodies are shaped or the way that they use lubrication or the positions that they use are just sort of more prone to breaking condoms. So if you're someone who's broken condoms in the past, that might just mean that you are someone who is not uh, you know, whose body is sort of more prone to breaking latex condoms, which again might mean that you would have better luck with a different kind of condom. Okay, before we, I, I don't want to keep you from your vacation for too long, <laughs> uh, but before we let you go, I really, I, I would like you to briefly give us an answer to the, you know, the question posed by the title of your piece, if it's not, you know, spoiler alert material, oh, but no. why don't we have a better condom? Well, it's it's complicated. I, I, I would say, I guess to to sum it up, that there the the fear uh that both spurred the FDA to get interested in making sure that condoms were safe in the first place the fear of HIV starting in the early 80s um it also made people a lot more conservative than maybe they should have been about condom effectiveness. Um, so what that means is that, I mean, really, so what, what other condom options are there out there? The um, there's lambskin, right. There's the female condom, which I, I don't actually discuss in my article, mostly just because I think of it as being kind of a different animal. Um, and I'm not even sure this is sort of getting off on a tangent. I'm not really sure if calling it a condom is, is was a great branding move because it's just like such a very different kind of protection the well, way it's used. But anyway, everybody hates oh, no, everybody <laughs> hates my term for it, which is the trash can liner. <laughs> right, but it's kind of, of it's kind of a condom that the orifice that you're fucking wears for you. I mean, mm -hmm. it does sort of resemble a large and baggy condom. And when I say trash can liner, I'm not describing the vaginal canal as a trash can. I'm describing the anus also as a trash can. You know, people sometimes freak out and think that there's something gynophobic about me saying trash can mm -hmm. liner because it's called a female condom. But the female condom is used for uh, anal intercourse and vaginal intercourse both by men and women. So just a little right. caveat there. I'm not uh, insulting women in a way that I'm not also insulting gay men. But um, please go on. The other kinds. Um, so, oh yeah, the other kind that is actually kind of actually different from latex is polyurethane, which when it came out in the nineties was known as the plastic condom. And it is a material that's more plastic than latex. It doesn't stretch as much, but it is thinner. And, uh, it's, I mean, that's actually the material that female condoms are made of today. So if you've used a female condom, then you know what polyurethane is like. And it's, so it's thinner than latex and it transmits heat a lot more, uh, efficiently than latex does. And that can be, uh, a big factor in terms of sensation. Um, it does break at slightly higher rates than latex. And again, that's just another, uh, you know, risk factor that you have to take into consideration when you're thinking about which kind of condom you want to use, you know, are you comfortable with something that might break at a slightly higher rate than latex? Um, but the, the sort of like big picture reasons for why, you know, polyurethane never caught on, uh, it, which are the same as kind of the big picture reasons why lambskin never really caught on and why it's been saddled with this label that basically discourages everyone from using them, is that the FDA, I think, didn't want to be seen as endorsing a condom that might not be as safe as latex, even though the main problem with latex condoms has always been that people don't use them. Like people just do not use latex condoms consistently. The statistics are totally 
just like kind of shocking and horrible, as I'm sure you know, just like the vast majority of people who use condoms at all do not use them consistently. And that's really the the way that you protect yourself is by using condoms consistently. So uh, I would say, you know, from my opinion, it seems misguided to tell people that they can only use latex and that latex is the safest or and that like you're basically not getting protection from landscape, which is what I always believed. I always believed that landscape was just like not effective at all before I started doing research for this article. But the truth is like any kind of barrier that you use is going to keep you safer than no barrier at all. And I think it would be better to... Uh, you know, talk about give people options, make people feel like they had a choice other than either use a latex condom or use no condom. And now I feel like I'm sort of rambling. Okay, but, um, so one last question. If you're going to use a lambskin condom and the person you're about to fuck is a vegan, do you have to tell them? <laughs> oh, God, that's a totally different ethical question. <laughs> this, is a, this is a question for the ethicists, I think. Um, we'll pass it on to them. <laughs> I should say, actually, I'm I'm a vegetarian and... Um, while I was reporting this story, I did use a lambskin condom. And I might feel weird if I use them actually just like totally consistently, but I don't know. I feel like everyone has to make their own decision about that. Laura Anderson, associate editor for Slate, where she usually writes about food and culture, which I'm sure is what you're doing there in Paris, digging up uh, foods and cultures to write about. She just uh, reported and Slate just posted a long form feature called Why Don't We Have a Better Condom? I thought I knew because I've been paying attention for decades. I thought I knew everything there was to know about condoms. And I learned so much reading that piece. Laura, thank you for digging into it and for writing it. And I encourage everybody who can hear the sound of my voice to get online and read it right away. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much. Hey, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old poly straight guy. I've been in an open relationship for six years. I've been seeing a girl recently, and it's been great. She was okay with me having a girlfriend and all that. And we got really close. We were having unprotected sex and talked about it being fine for us to see other people as long as we told each other about it and used protection. So the other night I'm at her house and she's asleep. I'm on her laptop and she'd mentioned she'd been watching porn earlier. So I was curious and I scroll through it uh, to try to find the porn. And instead I see uh, like a million hits on a sugar daddy website. And I got this really sinking feeling like she was hiding something potentially dangerous to me. So I looked through the messages on her computer, which I had no intention of doing before that point, and found out she'd been getting paid to have sex with guys, at least four of them from what I could see. Uh, Sometimes she used protection, sometimes she didn't. So I was devastated. I confronted her about it, uh, asked her if she was a sex worker. She started lying about the number of guys and how often it had gone on and only admitted things as I presented information that conflicted with her account of things. So I told her I needed time to process what I'd just been through, time alone, and I didn't think there was anything morally wrong with sex work or prostitution, but I loved her and I'd come back and and tell her what I had decided, but I was just too hurt from the betrayal. And that's where things start getting weird. I I did ultimately decide that I could forgive her, give her another chance, because I do love her and I think she loves me, but she said she was really upset at the way I reacted, that it hurt her. She said what she did isn't prostitution or sex work, and she understands why I'm hurt, but she's hurt too because I violated her privacy, like those two acts in these circumstances are equivalent. Her friends are telling her she's done nothing wrong, that I'm the one who has by snooping. I tried asking a close friend of hers for some perspective on these issues, and he immediately got pissy and told me to never contact him about her again. 
she also got upset that I told my girlfriend about everything, saying she felt like she was on display and being judged. So I've, I've tried every step of the way to handle this responsibly and to make sound decisions, but this has been so weird. Uh, I'm in some funhouse version of reality. So I, I, I'm just, I guess my questions are, is snooping absolutely never justified in the face of evidence of a threat to me? Is it remotely comparable to the level of betrayal involved in exposing someone to the risk of disease against their will? Is there any circumstance in which letting men pay you to have sex with them is not sex work or prostitution? I feel like if I, if I hadn't looked, I would have been taking a huge risk for myself and my girlfriend, and there's no telling if I ever found out. I feel like I've been handling things as best as anyone could be expected to. I don't understand why you're working so hard to get back into this woman's good graces, bedroom pants, panties. Uh, what you discovered that she was lying to you about how she was conducting herself with other partners, uh, setting aside the whole sex work issue slash non-issue, she was having – apparently these emails that you read were very, very detailed. She was having unprotected intercourse with other men after telling you that she would – if she had sex with other guys, always use protection to protect you, to protect your partner. And she lied to you about that. And you found that evidence and you should pull the plug and run screaming. You should thank her for her time and not see her ever again. Um, you certainly shouldn't hang out so that she and her friends can gaslight you about what's worse. Snooping, which almost everybody does. Oh, it's it's wrong. Nobody should snoop. It's a violation of someone's privacy, blah, blah, blah. But almost everybody does it. And sometimes when you do it, you discover something that kind of retroactively justifies the snooping. Bestows a kind of retroactive okie-dokie on the snooping. Through snooping, you discovered that you were at risk, your partner was at risk, and that validates the snooping, in my opinion. So when you put these two betrayals on the scales, what she was doing, what you did, her betrayal, her lies so far outweigh yours that there should be no question of you pulling the plug on this relationship. No question on pulling your pants up, putting your dick away and backing slowly out of the room and out of her life. Don't call her friends asking them what they think or asking them to intercede on your behalf. Just be done and be gone. There are 3.5 billion other women on the face of the planet. Go fuck some of them. We record this show every week in Seattle, except on those rare occasions when I'm trapped in Los Angeles and we have to book a studio. And we have lots of regular folks who come on the show, regular guest experts. Um, but most of these people live far away. We have some people like Amy Lang who are here in town we can have in the studio. But, you know, lots of people I like to go back to again and again. James Cantor, Alice Drager, Diana Adams are far, far away and we usually have to talk to them over the phone, but every once in a while, one of these awesome people come to Seattle and when we find out they're coming to Seattle, we drag them into the studio when we make them sit down with me in the same room and take a couple of calls. And Diana Adams is here today in town in Seattle. She's a family lawyer and an advocate for LGBT and poly communities, and she's here in Seattle. Yes, I'm grateful to be here, Dan. It's really fun to get to see you in person and not just be over the phone interrupting each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to, you know, eye contact. And eye contact makes it easier to have a conversation. You know when to shut fun. up. Yes, exactly. Because the other person is looking at you like, shut up so I can talk. Right. And that's important when you're, you know, a man. You need that look sometimes to remember yes. to shut I'm, up. I'm really good at that look. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> Give, it to me. Give it to me right now. Oh, my God, I'll never talk again. <laughs> well, that was intense. That works on policy panels. So in the last five, ten years, 
poly as a thing, non-monogamy as a thing, monogamishamy as a thing has really broken through. I get I, I never got letters ten, you know, even three, four years ago from people who are saying, I just realized I'm poly, I'm coming out as poly. I'm today, three or four letters. I'm telling my husband or my wife that I'm poly. What do you think brought us to this tipping point around sort of poly self-awareness and this new new concept of, as, of poly as a sexual orientation that requires a coming out process? I think we've seen amazing progress in our freedom around relationships and sexuality. And I think part of that comes from a greater uh, sexual openness in general, um, just more conversations culturally growing all the time around issues like kink, the world of Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, and have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I, I know I need to see it, but every time I open the book or look at a trailer, I have to vomit a little bit in my mouth and I'm having a hard time. And you're not a reflexophiliac, so that doesn't turn you no, on. No, it does not turn me on at all. So well, I think in terms of the poly, the poly world, that kind of just greater um, – greater openness about sexuality is, is one impact. I also really think that the same-sex marriage movement and the LGBTQ rights movement have had a cultural effect in that it's caused us over the past 10 years to really spend a lot of time thinking about what does it mean to be in a relationship? What does it mean to be in a marriage? Do we have to follow these arcane rules? Many people actually aren't following them. Maybe that means we should be thinking outside the box. If Many people aren't following them. Gay couples are, who aren't following them are likely to be honest about it. Right. Likely to be open about the fact that they are not monogamous than straight couples who aren't following the rules. Um, years ago, I wrote a, a series of columns that I'm still very proud of where I invited people who were in successful non-monogamous relationships that their friends and relatives didn't know were successfully non-monogamous to share their stories because we don't – you know, typically, straight couples who are successfully non-monogamous shut up. Nobody knows. They're socially monogamous, perceived to be monogamous, not sexually monogamous. And their friends and relatives and family neighbors only find out if, that they're not monogamous if they divorce because of it. If it destroys a relationship, we hear about the non-monogamy. If it helps a relationship, if it makes it stronger or more joyful, we almost never hear about it. Absolutely. So non-monogamy is not new. People talking about it is not is new. More people feeling like this might be a possibility. This might be something that we could actually go to a meetup group about, that we could meet with my group, Poly Cocktails, and go and network and, and get some advice from other people. Tell me we, about Poly Cocktails. I've never heard of this before. Poly Cocktails is a group that I started in New York eight years ago with a few friends. Um, I shared a Google Calendar with my partner's partner's partner. Um, and he and I were saying there's no Who value. Who would be Kevin Bacon, I assume. Because when you get to that degree of separation, it could just very well be you're Kevin fucking Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Right. Um, and he and I were saying, you know, we do Thanksgiving together. We are part of each other's chosen family. We plan so many things together. Where's our Valentine's Day? We don't have, there's no Valentine's Day celebration for us. So we threw a sort of poly Valentine's Day event at just a swanky lounge in New York and invited all of the sort of connection of lovers rather than having people couple up. And it was so successful and fun. People said, let's do it next month. And can I invite these other people? And then accidentally, we started one of the largest groups of poly people meeting in a non-play environment just at a cocktail lounge, um, which is now in multiple cities around the country. And without any real effort or, or desire to reach out, mm -hmm. because there's a need for that, there's a hunger for that. People who want to come to spaces where they can just talk and not it's not a play event. There's no expectations of that um, where people can come and say, my husband and I are thinking about opening up our marriage. Is there anybody here we could talk to? And I can say, sure, there's these three couples over here who have been doing that for 15 years successfully. Mm -hmm. um, I have kids. How should I talk to my 13-year-old about it? I can take you over and introduce you to somebody else who's been doing that. Um, should you tell your kids about it? I think that's something that's it's age appropriate. And I do a lot of work with that with child custody cases where the question is, 
whether or not a parent is using good parenting judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, any kind of sexual play in front of children is inappropriate. So if there's a case in which a parent has left nipple clamps or a ball gag on the floor and the four-year-old's playing with it, that's inappropriate, whether you're straight, gay, monogamous, or poly. And and so I think that knowing that there are special people in your parents' lives – Maybe a special aunt and uncle who are spending a lot of time with mom and dad. Who hopefully are not blood aunt and uncle. Right. Hopefully not blood aunt and uncle. <laughs> Some sort of chosen family. Yeah, no, I, no blood aunt and uncles. You're not the fucking British royal family. You, don't, no, you can't get none away of that. with that crap. Um, but, but the kid's not necessarily knowing about the sexuality. The kids just know this is a, a person who's special in our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's also important is that parents have good judgment about not introducing people into the child's life if they're not a stable part of their life that will be ongoing. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing if, if there's somebody who shows up at the park once or twice. But if there's somebody who's providing child care, going away for the weekend, helping with putting the child to bed at night, that should be somebody that you know and expect is going to be around for a long time, whether you're a serial monogamist or whether you're poly. Um, this is actually more of a problem in the cases I see with um, straight people who are monogamous who get divorced and the dad's a serial monogamist and doesn't really know how to do child care. So suddenly his girlfriend of three weeks is the one who's acting as an informal nanny mm-hmm. and saying, oh, I'm going to live with you and daddy forever. And then she's gone in two months and then there's a new lady. And then a few months later, there's a new lady. And that's the kid who has a lot of problems more often than the poly people who are worried about the scrutiny um, and, and are very often very conscious about that. Is there a place where people can find out about Poly Cocktails online and what cities it's in? Do you have a website? Sure. If you go to my website, feministoutlaw.com, you can see links to Poly Cocktails um, and openloveny.com is the New York-based group. And what cities are you in? So we are in Houston, in Albany, in Madison, Wisconsin, in Chicago, um, and I'm probably forgetting some cities right now and I apologize to them. We're expanding soon to Connecticut. If somebody wants to start a Poly Cocktails event in their city, do they need your permission or do they just let you know they're doing it? So they can can email us and then there's a brief application process that we're starting because we want to make sure that as we grow that we have some quality control. And part of what that means is that we have safe space rules and we have people who are hosts um, who help to sort of moderate the event. I think that's really important because a lot of sex positive events in the Tantra, kink and poly communities end up getting really creepy. Mm-hmm. And the reason they get really creepy is if you don't provide any moderation at all, um, there'll be a, maybe a bunch of, of middle-aged men who are on the autism spectrum who think maybe this is a place where I can get laid. No offense to people on the autism spectrum or middle-aged men. I'm, I'm a middle-aged man. There I'm, you go. I'm very offended there you, I, by I, what you just said. I, I absolutely hear why you might be offended. <laughs> At the same time, if you go to one of these events, you'll see what this I'm talking about. This room doesn't feel like a safe place anymore for middle-aged straight white men or gay white men <laughs> like me. Oh, my God. I just identified as straight. I just miss – See what I did to you? Oriented myself. It was the look. <laughs> it was the look. Your look turned me straight. <laughs> Powerful. <laughs> um, but, but with this way, we actually try to make it sort of an all-skate event using the 80s uh, skating rink vernacular of people who are pirouetting and people who are hanging onto the rail at the side all being in the same place. Mm-hmm. So that people who feel maybe a little bit more socially awkward, uh, rather than kicking them out or blacklisting them, what we do is we have hosts that keep this a learning environment. Um, and then if anybody feels a little bit creeped out, they can let us know and we can actually give direct feedback and I can pull somebody aside and say, hey, John, sounds like you want to meet women. Could I give you some feedback about that? And usually John's really, really happy to get my free coaching and help with that. And that kind of thing helps just to keep it a really safe space so that people have um, have good boundaries around that. So cool. as we grow, we want to keep it feeling um, safe, sane, and consensual, um, which is important, I think, as the poly community explodes and gets much more popular. 
Great. Poly cocktails. I learned something. You've been doing that for a long time. I didn't know that. You've had you a bunch. Glad you're here. Glad we could find that out. Uh, we have some poly questions. And since you're here, we want to take advantage of your time and uh, bat them around with you if that's okay. Great. Let's do it. Hi, Dan. I am dissatisfied with my sex life and my marriage, but satisfied with my emotional life with my husband and my family life with my husband. So given that information, do I A, just cheat on my husband because this is what I need to do to keep my marriage going and happy and we have a child and 18 month old baby do I option B talk to him about things such as monogamish or polyamory which I don't think he's going to be very open to but I'll give a little more information on that in a second or option C, do I just stop listening to the Savage Love Cast, which brings up all these questions that I have about how to be sexually happy in my marriage and, uh, you know, stop thinking about sexuality and just be happy with my emotional connection and my family connection. Both my husband and I were very sexually inexperienced when we got together before we were married, and he is pretty content with a vanilla sexual relationship. I have discussed this with him. I've had open communication about the fact that, A, I'm interested and maybe a little bit more kink and a little bit more excitement, and also, B, I just have a higher sex drive than him, and we've come to terms with the fact that I want sex more frequently than he wants sex. And we just know that about ourselves now and have to deal with that. And so I do not think he's going to be super open to a monogamous or polyamory situation because he comes from a conservative background. And I would be honestly really afraid to bring it up because I'm pretty sure he would say no. And then it would, I don't know, make him suspicious of me that I'm possibly wanting to look outside of my marriage for sexual fulfillment. So there I am. I get this question constantly. In love with my spouse, the sex is lousy, the marriage is great. What should I do? And half the people just want my blessing to cheat. And sometimes I do give my blessing to cheat. That sort of sets me apart from all the other professional advice slingers on the planet. Sometimes I tell people, do what you need to do to stay married and stay sane. I'm beginning because the, the, the mail around this and the questions is so overwhelming to just come to a point where you know my position is evolving as the presidents once did. And I'm beginning to feel like we can have long-term, stable, committed relationships or monogamous ones, but we can't have both. Long-term, stable, committed and monogamous relationships because sex seems to be such a huge problem, particularly in relationships where people emotionally get along great. Uh, the culture encourages people to marry basically siblings and best friends now, which aren't necessarily relationships that will involve a lot of erotic tension, which as Esther Perel points out so brilliantly and beautifully is about difference and what's unknown in the chasm. And as the culture shoves people towards people who are just like them as romantic partners, we knife romance. All right. So that's where I am on this call. Where are you, Polly Advocate? Well, I think that this brings up a central issue that's common to much of couples therapy, much of the reason people go to couples therapy over the past 20, 30 years. Um, the prototype is often a gender reversal in which maybe there's a 
Um, mom has just given birth to a baby. Her hormonal levels have changed. She now has a baby on her body all the time. She no longer wants, wants as much touch or as much sexual intimacy. Um, her husband starts expressing more of a desire to rekindle their sexual connection. Um, she's not interested. He talks about it, talks about it, asks for it, eventually goes out and cheats. And then when they go to couples therapy about it, the party line in traditional couples therapy, believe it or not, because I've sat through all the presentations at the conferences, wringing my hands, is that he should write an apology letter to the other woman and an apology letter to his wife and have a little slap on the wrist from the feminist couples therapist and go home to a sexless marriage. Mm -hmm. That has not worked. That has definitively not worked. No, that will not work. Um, that makes people really unhappy, really mis miserable, really resentful. They're not getting their needs met. They're not feeling heard in their relationship, whether or not we think that the cheating itself is okay. And so I think that in this situation, given these options, I think – Definitely C. Stop listening to the Savage Lovecast. Clearly that's the answer. That's the for end. everyone generally. Right. <laughs> just, we're, just throw that out there as a general piece of advice. No one should be listening to this show. It's very harmful. It's, yes. It's just going to ruin your marriage. <laughs> I think that with this possibility of opening up the relationship, it's worth it to try because the other possibilities could be really devastating. Um, I also – I don't necessarily judge all people who cheat, um, but when possible, I think it's great to opt for an option with greater honesty and not – um, and huh? not skip that conversation just because you're you're sort of scared to bring it up because it's really awkward. How do you have that conversation? I want to open the relationship because the sex is lousy. And the you know the typical advice slinging bullshit is oh you know he needs to do the dishes more and you guys need to like work out some people just don't click sexually and there's no amount of tinkering or working at it that's going to create a click where a click has never existed and will never exist. So what does she say to him? Like I want to have sex with other people because sex with you sucks. I think she should come from first a place of her own needs and up the ante by saying I am not getting my needs met here. We need to problem solve on this together and I'd really love to ask for your support because I love you. You know, be affirming of him. I love you. I'm committed to this relationship. I want to be in a family with you. I love being in this marriage with you. And I'm also – I'm not getting these sexual needs met. We've talked about it. We haven't found a solution yet. And maybe ask to find the help of a supportive professional. These are really, really hard and scary conversations for couples and there are plenty of professionals who are – Sex positive, poly friendly, couples therapists, people like me who are family mediators, people can go and talk to asex.org. There you Start go. Start there, asex.org. At asex.org, there are plenty of people who can, whom you can speak to because this is a very, very common problem and probably the number one issue that all of those trained sex counselors and family therapists who are on asex.org um, are dealing with. So this has happened before. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. There are people who can help you. And these are really, really scary conversations. And so having somebody to midwife that conversation delicately so that people can really hear each other can be really helpful. There was an article at CNN. I wrote about it in American Savage, my last book, that was talking about how to save the sexless marriage. And out of it listed all these options, all these approaches you could take to saving the sexless marriage. And after divorce – Divorce was an option, number six or seven. After divorce was ethical non-monogamy. So divorce came higher on the list of ways to save the sexless marriage than right. the open marriage. People have such a taboo about bringing up an open marriage, even though it's something that's been really common for many people for a long time, even if swingers haven't been talking about it. 
I think that we want to have a greater openness in our married relationships and our deep partnerships that such that we can bring up those topics that that we don't have these conversations off limits because of shame or cultural taboo. How much time are two people expected to waste pretending like they can fix a problem that may not be fixable? Like if you go to a regular couples counselor and one of you wants to open the relationship because you're sexually unsatisfied and may never be and it's not about frequency, it's about, you know, clicking about snapping into each other about meeting each other's needs and it's just not there and it's never going to be there. They're going to be – that person in particular will be regarded as the problem, the person who wants to go outside the relationship and bullied, I think, frankly, based on a lot of the stories I've heard from people who went to therapists to try to work on this particular problem into working on it, working on it, working on it, trying absolutely everything, really running out the clock, sometimes for decades trying to work on it uh, before they're allowed to – you know, go to perhaps openness, getting those needs met elsewhere. How long is a person required to work at something that they know can't be worked? I think that sometimes people are surprised. I think sometimes things can work, but I do think that it makes sense to have a time limit um, or, or at least some sort of expectation. Like mm-hmm. I'm really not getting an essential life need met. Um, sex is valuable. We're, we're realizing that that sexuality and desire cannot just be squelched forever and have people feel okay in their lives often. And be able to say, okay, let's give this six months. Let's give this a year. Whatever's right for those people. Um, but I think that it's important to do that. I hear from many people who say, well, my spouse is saying we can open the relationship at some point, um, but it hasn't happened yet, or we're going to try some kink at some point. Um, meanwhile, three years later – that point hasn't happened and that other spouse isn't interested in making the couples therapy appointment. So I think it does make sense to keep this as an issue, which is a vital or a vital need. For okay. So she says Jesus. to her husband, I'm, you know, a, I'm going to, well, C, I'm going to stop listening to the love cast. She tells him that. <laughs> then she tells him, I'm not satisfied. I assume you're not really satisfied either. We're great partners. We're great parents together. I love you. I want to be in this family. I want to open the relationship so we can get these needs met elsewhere. And he says, absolutely not. And never. What's her next move? I think her next move might be saying, well, I have a major need met that's not getting met. And part of our marital vows is that we're going to work on our relationship. And I'm asking you to step up and do that. Um, and, and really let the person know that the sexuality is something that's important to them. I think for too long, we've been allowed to feel like that's not a priority. You're being selfish. You're being uh, you a know, sex you're being, monster. You're being a hedonist. Mm-hmm. If you actually ask to have those kinds of desires fulfilled – if you are gay in a straight marriage and closeted, you know, that you're supposed to just ignore that. If you are kinky or not getting sex in your marriage, that you're supposed to just deal with it. Um, and I, I don't think that's healthy for the marriage. I don't think that uh, breeds a healthy relationship over time anyway. And so I suggest that she really up the ante and ask her what she needs here. Would you tell her – would you advise her or someone in her position to divorce? I would suggest that they try and work on the relationship for as long okay, as Okay, they've tried. They've worked on it. They've been to couples counseling. She's laid it out. He says, no, absolutely not. Monogamy forever. Monogamy yesterday, monogamy today, monogamy forever. And then what? I would leave people with the option of whether they think that it's the right time to divorce. I would never tell people that it is. But I also practice divorce. And I think that Divorce. You practice gets, divorce. I as I, an attorney. As an attorney. Okay. So I do a lot of um, I do a lot of divorce mediation and collaborative divorces, and I'm part of that conscious uncoupling movement. That divorce doesn't have to be ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be mean and nasty. It doesn't have to be a total failure. It can also be that you're honoring your vows to each other by being true to yourselves and true to each other, 
and respectfully with dignity, separating out your finances and figuring out how you're going to move forward, maybe as friends, as co-parents. Um, and it doesn't have to be a failure. There are many people out there who should get divorced rather than be in a, an unhappy marriage for whatever reason for decades. Hi, Dan. I am a 31-year-old straight female living in the Midwest. I am in a poly relationship uh, with a man who is married, and the three of us get along ridiculously. Um, we're, we've developed into this wonderful poly family triad, and it's working out very well. Uh, my partner and I have reached the I love you stage of the relationship, and it's gotten pretty serious in the last few months we've been seeing each other. But recently he's met another girl that he was interested in, and I am beside myself with jealousy. I realize that this is something that happens, and I'm very aware of my feelings, and I'm trying to keep them at bay and deal with it in a healthy way while not going crazy at the same time. But um, I'm just wondering if you had any advice on how to deal with jealousy in a polyamorous relationship, especially this is my first time really being in a poly relationship, so I kind of don't know what I'm doing or... My partner is being very supportive of me um, as he went through it when he was his life first opened up. Um, so he knows what I'm going through, but there's only so much support he can give me because he's also maintaining a relationship with his wife and also this, this new girl who I've met. I've met the new girl and, and I like her and she is also being very supportive of me and you know offering to help me in any way she can. She yeah, I just wanted to know if you had any advice on how to get through this and because I, I want my partner to be happy. I want I want to still be with him. I have fears that she that this new girl is going to break that for some reason and I also have fears that my partner is going to love me less if he falls in love with the new girl. How many girlfriends is too many girlfriends? Great is there question, a limit? Dan. <laughs> I think that it depends on the time the person has. If you are um, fortunate to have a four-hour work week. Or a clone. Or a clone um, or be independently wealthy or have a trust fund or whatever, um, maybe having a marriage and two girlfriends can work out. And I know many people for whom that does work out. I think that it's important for the caller to really sort of separate out what these different emotions are that are part of the jealousy. And I think we really treat jealousy as a blunt instrument, sort of like the children's book, Primary Colors. I'm sad. I'm happy. I'm angry. Mm -hmm. you know. Um, but really think, what does it mean to say that she's jealous? And we heard a few things in there. One of the concerns was more specifically that maybe there won't be enough time and energy for her. Maybe she'll not be chosen um, with this other woman. It'll screw up the triad that she's very – her poly family, she mm -hmm. calls it. Her poly family that's already existing. And and so there's ways to separate those things out and deal with them specifically. And so, you know, with jealousy, there could be – it could be, you know, I think you think she's prettier than me, right? And those are the kinds of things that maybe you could acknowledge to yourself and address and talk to your partner about and ask for affirmation and say, you know, I, I know this is silly, but she's a 19-year-old exotic dancer and I'm 40 and I don't look <laughs> like that and I'm feeling a little insecure. Would you, would you give me reassurance? Mm -hmm. And sometimes then they can feel really – that's been really empowering for me with my – studly partner who gets hit on by 19-year-old exotic dancers to get that affirmation. Um, and then I, I feel really confident, you know, feeling comfortable with him flirting back with that woman. Mm -hmm. And then there's the issue of sort of resource allocation. I think if if you have any kind of situation in which a partner is taking on some new activity, it's okay to be concerned about whether there'll be time for you. I hear people 
who are poly who are shaming themselves about feeling what they call jealous. And they'll say, well, my husband and I just opened up the relationship and now he's going on dates five days a week. Well, if your husband was playing video games or going golf five days a week suddenly, that could be a problem because he's suddenly no longer available to you, to your child, to your family. And so talking about saying, okay, I would really like I would really like three nights a week to be family nights mm-hmm. or I would like several date nights a week or maybe you could take things slower with somebody who's really new. Um, I think those are all reasonable requests. And then in terms of the existing relationship, also asking more specifically and, and getting clearer on what am I really worried about here? Am I worried that the three of us won't spend as much time together? You can try to implement that. You can ask for that specifically. So there's really some emotional detective work that she can do here. And there are wonderful resources out there available for I this. I still want you to answer the question, though. Can you have too many girlfriends? You know, is I there think- a limit? I mean, you know, polyamory, many loves, as much love as humanly possible. But you reach a point where you're going to be neglecting your primary partner, your secondary partner, your tertiary partner, as you add the quad, the quint, the sextuplet. There's just so much time in the day and only so much dick in your pants to go around, is there not? And, and, and I hate to, I hate to tiptoe into this minefield. And, and I was, I was happy to hear that his third girlfriend or this, this new girl has a partner of her own who also has other people. Um, because every once in a while, and it doesn't apply here, but every once in a while I get a letter from someone, from a woman describing her jealousy or unhappiness in a polyamorous relationship. And everything that she describes in the letter sounds like a fundamentalist Mormon cult compound thing. Sounds like one guy with seven wives. It doesn't sound like polyamory, egalitarian, non-sexist, feminist, poly as I like understand it and appreciate it mm-hmm. and approve of it. My approval is all that matters on my fucking show. That every once in a while it just so- starts to sound like the collector of vaginas. Indeed. There is the problem of the collecting of vaginas sometimes in the poly community, and it's one thing because that looks like polygamy, which is a, sure. which is often about you know males hoarding resources, and there was just that study that came out that showed that uh, you know uh, you know in pre ancient times, pre recorded history, that many many men never had children at all because there were successful males who were hoarding all the females. And sometimes you read about, you know, I get these questions from people with poly things and it doesn't sound like egalitarian up with people poly to me. It sounds like regressive polygamy flying under the poly banner. I absolutely hear you on that, Dan. And I personally have a lot of skepticism when I hear that a man is a straight male polyamorous dom with multiple girlfriends Mm -hmm. because that to me – can sometimes mean, in my experience, that he is a dumb and he doesn't listen to anybody else's perspective and that's the way he articulates that and that he sleeps with whoever he wants, does whatever he wants and doesn't listen to his girlfriends because they're all submissives. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that problem and there's the possibility for that to happen. And I think that in this situation um, or for anybody who's who's one of many partners, it's important to assert your needs here. So what do you need? Do you need one night a week? Do you need two nights a week? That can vary in couples. Some couples – some married couples maybe want to spend one or two nights a week together. Some want to spend five. And you could be poly and committed. You could be poly and say to this guy, I am up for being your other girlfriend in a polyamorous triad. I am not up for being one of your seven girlfriends in an, a polyamorous amoeba. Absolutely. And, and, so- and if you can't commit to me and your wife as your partner's plural closed, I'm out of here. And that's still poly. There are some people who have it in their head that poly means anything anyone goes and there are no limits and there mm-hmm. should be no limits. But you can – ask for limits. You can ask for the kind of commitment that you want. And then if you're not going to get that kind of commitment, 
you can walk with your poly card still golden and in your pocket. Absolutely. And I don't think there should be any shame at all about articulating that you have needs. I don't think that poly should mean that there are no boundaries. If that's what you're hearing from somebody, they're maybe not very good at poly and trying to be controlling instead. So I think that um, to answer your question, I think more than three or four serious partners – People usually don't have time for that. It often is not going to work out. It's one thing if you're Or they're unserious partners. Or they're unserious partners. Yeah. And that can be fine. I mean, you can have two serious partners and then a bunch of lovers who are good friends. Fuck buddies. Yeah. um, Who maybe feel like one big family. That's fantastic. But if you're having people who were intending to see you once or twice a week and have you be available to them emotionally and sexually, you can only do that so often in one week. And beware the person who wants to slap the partner label on you and it comes with limitations around what you can do and your time, but there's no limitation on what they can do or their time or who they see. Absolutely. And I've seen that too in some of the mail, not in any of the poly relationships I've personally witnessed, but in some of the mail from people who poly means my partner does whatever he wants, usually him, Mm -hmm. but I'm not allowed to do X, Y, or Z. Right. The woman will say, I'm only allowed to play with women, only if he's there. Um, I have all these restrictions, but he has none. That's a really good tip-off that this maybe is a jerk masquerading as a polyamorous dom or something. Are those jerks masquerading as polyamorous doms welcome at poly cocktails? You know, we try to keep it a teaching event. And so I might just pull somebody aside and have a conversation with them about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And if somebody's behavior is sort of overtly creepy or seems disrespectful, then they'll be asked to leave. Yeah. I give them the look that you've heard so much about. The look is terrifying. It made me straight earlier in the afternoon. (laughs) Diana Adams. Follow her on Twitter at Diana Adams ESQ, Esquire, and dianaadamslaw.net for your law practice. And go to feministoutlaw.com where you'll find – Lots of poly resources, including some downloadable material about dealing with jealousy. Thank you so much for dropping in. Thanks so much for having me. It was me. so great having this conversation. Hi, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old homosexual college student living in San Francisco, California. And I've been dating a 45-year-old now for over a year, and I'm planning on breaking up with him. The problem I'm having with this guy is that I'm convinced that he's in an open relationship with his quote-unquote roommate and is draining me and my self-esteem. I've tried asking him about it, but he never wants to say anything. He never confirms nor denies. It always turns into a fight, which leads to the silent treatment, which I hate. At this point in my life, I'm not yet okay with the idea of seeing someone who is in a committed open relationship, especially not someone who lies to me about it. He had been, if he had been truthful since the very beginning, I would have probably understand and proceed with the relationship with a different mindset and goals. But now that I've begun to really care about him or love him or whatever, I found out that he has potentially been lying to me. And it really hurts. So my boyfriend works as a senior software engineer in Silicon Valley, and he moved here from Canada a few years ago with the roommate. Judging from his job and expensive hobbies, it's very hard to believe that he can't afford to live on his own. Right now, he and his roommate live in a one-bedroom apartment, and when I asked him about it, he told me that he's just helping out a friend who wants to live cheaper by letting him sleep in his living room. That sounds very noble, you know, so I never really questioned it. He told me he has an arrangement, like an agreement with the roommate to never bring dates home, and that this agreement was very necessary because his roommate is promiscuous. I've slept over at his place a few times when the roommate went away for vacation, but generally, my boyfriend is always the one sleeping over at my place. 
Recently, we got into a fight, and I used the time during the silent treatment to do some simple Googling of my boyfriend's name and the roommate's name. And I found a series of evidence that indicate that they are, in fact, a couple. I found the roommate's public Yelp account and found a review for a mattress store, which is all about how we moved from Canada and we... Blah, 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 blah. Okay, just cutting to the chase here. The guy you're dating is lying to you and you know it. What are you going to do about it? You you have a choice to make. You can continue to see him under the conditions as they currently exist, which he pretends that his partner is his roommate and you pretend to believe him. Or you can just say, look, if you want to have a partner and a boyfriend, I'm up for being your boyfriend, but I'm not up for being lied to and misled about who this other person is. If you're not interested in being a secondary partner or one third of a polyamorous triad, then walk. You know what you know. And now you have to make a choice. Accept the relationship as it is and demand honesty or walk. Pretty simple. Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old, mostly straight female in a currently monogamous relationship with my 33-year-old male partner. Um, after months of unexplained pain, I was just diagnosed with endometriosis, and I can't help but think I'm hearing the death knell of my sex life and ultimately my relationship. My partner and I have been together for just one year, and we had a really good sex life until my symptoms started, but for the last month, I haven't been able to have sex. I've been in too much pain. I'm finding ways to manage the pain until I can have excision surgery in December, so there's an end in sight. Um, in my partner's own words, he says, there is plenty of time for us to have sex later, but he's still just happy to spend time with me and that he wants to see me through this. And I'm happy to service his needs from time to time. I do really miss the physical intimacy, but each time I try, I end up in pain and he ends up feeling terrible, so we probably shouldn't do that. We've only been together a year. We've never said the L word. We talk about the future in only vague, wouldn't it be lovely if kind of terms. And we've maintained a really high degree of independence up until now. Love and a future together are like totally possibilities, but this does not jive with my super careful conservative timeline for considering a long-term relationship. I'm afraid that we or I don't know what we're getting into. I'm afraid of losing my independence to accept his health through this. And I'm afraid that the lack of sex will erode our emotional intimacy. Do you have any advice for how I can handle these fears? Or should I just put this relationship on hold until I can deal with this? Is it too soon to throw in such a deeply personal problem? From mayoclinic.org, endometriosis is an often painful disorder in which tissue that normally lines the inside of your uterus, the endometrium, grows outside of your uterus. Endometriosis most commonly involves your ovaries, bowel, or tissue lining your pelvis. And of course, this makes sexual intercourse very painful and there are complications and it has to be addressed surgically. So that's what you're facing, caller and listeners. That's what she's facing. And you have a partner of a year you've been with for a year who is offering, who wants to be by your side as you move through this medical crisis and, and is treatable. Effective treatments are available, says Mayo Clinic. You will come through this in one piece and you will be restored hopefully to full sexual health. 
why are you so hesitant to take yes for an answer? I don't understand. You say you're worried that a lack of sex will erode your emotional intimacy. You know what's going to erode your emotional intimacy faster? Shoving this guy away because you have it in your head that if you aren't able to have and enjoy vaginal intercourse with him at this precise moment in the relationship a year in – that you're somehow defective or damaged goods or there's something suspicious about his interest in being there for you. The universe, I'm not a woohoo type, but the universe is providing you with some emotional support from someone who's come to know you over the last year. Say yes. Let him do this for you. Even if you don't wind up with him for the rest of your life, even if that's not in the cards. So the fuck what? It can be a loving and valuable and crucial and important to you at this stage of your life. It can be all that and a short-term relationship. Stop gaming out the future. Stop obsessing about whether anyone said the L word yet. Stop worrying about how you've maintained your independence and what that means for the future of the relationship. And just let him help. Let him help. That will strengthen the emotional intimacy. And the sexual intimacy can return. But if you chuck the emotional intimacy because the sexual intimacy isn't in the cards right now, the emotional intimacy is unlikely to return. So the answer that you need to give him is yes. Yes, I accept your support. Yes, thank you. I am grateful. And in the meantime, let's enjoy of each other what we can. Let's enjoy spending time together. Let's get to know each other better. Let's go to movies. Let's hang out. Let's be, depending on what level of intimacy you're comfortable with, let's be intimate in the ways that we can. Perhaps mutual masturbation or, or, or you're just helping him masturbate. Whatever. You can maintain your physical intimacy even if you're, for this moment, incapable of penis and vagina intercourse. A relationship isn't just penis and vagina intercourse. If it was, my marriage would be in big trouble. Hi, Dan. Uh, I just wanted to follow up with the girl who had the question about the IUD. I'm not going to lie. My boyfriend felt it for the first two weeks. They were really nervous. I wasn't. I really didn't want hormones, but he didn't like how it felt. After two weeks, he couldn't feel anything. Hi, Dan. This is for the caller who is asking about sensitivity with IUD strings. Um, my OBGYN told me that if you ask any man if they can feel something with the head of their penis, they will say yes. So the strategy is to not say anything. And then if he says he can feel something, they can go in and trim it for you. And I have to say, we have not had any problems. My boyfriend has not noticed at all. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about episode 441 and the caller who lost his job during the recession and who has now found full-time employment, but his partner still expects him to shoulder all of the domestic responsibilities. I thought your advice to him was spot on. That guy's boyfriend was a dick, but I was so surprised that you did not draw the parallel between his situation and the millions of women in this country who have quit their jobs to take care of the kids and then go back to work and their husbands still expect them to do all the work around the house. And if it weren't for being financially dependent on them and the sexism they face in the workforce, I would say your advice to the caller would apply to them too, that they should leave their husbands because they're assholes. And we're going to leave it there. But quickly before we go, last week I asked everybody out there who could to make a small donation to Maine Family Planning, reproductive uh, health organization in Maine that was under attack by religious anti-choice extremists. 
like I said, they were the religious extremists were celebrating the fact that uh, they had only raised uh, half of their ten thousand dollar goal for this big annual fundraiser, only five thousand dollars. When I talked about it on the podcast, they were close to closing that gap, close to raising ten thousand since last week. Since you guys poured uh, onto Maine Family Planning's website and started making donations, they have now tripled their goal. They are at almost $30,000. Uh, they're going to get there. And I just want to thank everybody and Maine Family Planning, everybody who works there wants to thank all of you Lovecast listeners who donated. Um, they got notes and messages from all over the country from people who are donating and so many notes and so many messages from people who heard about them on the Lovecast. So I want to thank all of you who uh, made a donation. So the anti-choice religious extremist haters who were doing a happy dance after Maine Family Planning looked like it wasn't going to meet their 10,000 goal are now going to have to do a big sad dance after Maine Family Planning tripled that goal. And you guys did that. Thank you. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. The Hump Tour is coming to Chicago, to Cleveland, and Seattle. Uh, for information about Hump, the Pacific Northwest's biggest, best, and only amateur porn film festival where you can catch Hump, where you can see it, and also for information about creating and submitting films for Hump, go to humptour.com. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Diana Adams on Twitter at Diana Adams Esquire. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech savvy at risk youth. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.